0: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
1: Here in the Southern Valley, the Yankees are trailing 2-0. That is the key man. Hit high in the air to left field. Going to the corner, Yastrzemski. It's over the wall.
2: It's a home run for Bucky Dent. The Yankees get the lead 3-2. And it's just there. The Deep to left. Yastrzemski will not get its home run. A three-run
1: home run for Bucky Den. The Yankees now lead it by a score of three to 2 Oh, the last guy on the ball club, you'd expect to hit a home run. Just hit
2: went
0: into the screen. Bucky Dent. Hi there, everyone. I'm Bucky Dent. Welcome to this week's episode of Deep the Left with Bucky Dent, and we got a really special guest this week. He's a guy that I think is going to be the next superstar. It's Clint Frazier, and we're going to welcome him to the show. And before we get there, we have John Swartz, a deputy editor of Yankees Magazine. He will be joining me, and we're both looking forward to talking to our buddy, Clint Frazier. What's going on, Bucky? Not a whole lot, brother. I mean, just looking forward to talking to this young man because I heard he is a a terrific guy to talk to, and I know he's got a great future, and I'm looking forward to uh, picking his brain a little bit about the last few years with the Yankees. Picking
2: his brain for sure. I think that one thing, I don't know how well you know him, if at all, but one thing I know that a lot of listeners are going to find is... The version of Clint Fraser that exists in the you know world of you know fans and media and whatever, complaining about players doing this or that, or thinking that they know guys based on certain things, Clint's really pretty good evidence for the fact that you really don't know a guy until you actually talk to him. He's so smart. He's so interesting. He's funny. I've learned a lot from my chances of talking to him, and I'm really excited for our fans to get to hear this conversation.
0: Yeah, me too. I mean, I really want to talk to him because you could just about see him transform this past year into a guy that... Uh, looked like he was on a mission. And to be able to go from being criticized for his defense to being on a list to win a gold glove, I think that says a lot for this young man. I, I, I'm, I'm just uh, really amazed and uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to talking to him about his career and, and all the ups and downs, but I think he's on his way now. I think he's going to blossom into being a star.
2: So what do you say? Why don't we get him on the
0: phone? Let's get him on the line. Hey, Clint. What's up? Thanks for coming on the show, man. I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to talking to you, man. Of course, man. I'm excited. Yeah, yeah. So so tell me a little bit about this year. Uh, It had to be tough playing with no fans, didn't it?
3: It was different, you know. Um, Obviously, I think for me, it was a little bit different, though, because it kind of helped me go into the outfield. You know, I had the struggles in 2019 where – where I I misplayed a few balls and and I really tried to work on some stuff in the off season going into spring training and to to go into the season and have no fans, it kind of took a little bit of weight off my shoulders, you know, because I was able to just go out there and just be me in the game and not really have to worry about people screaming at me because I'm not Aaron judge in right field. And it was good. I mean, the, the no fans helped I think me progress more in the outfield faster, but it also like took a lot of adrenaline away from the game. And, kind of felt like a practice squad game but for me i mean i was just glad to be playing as much as i did
0: kind of like them b games on the backfield isn't it
3: yeah definitely <laughs> it definitely felt like i was in minor league camp sitting in front of uh no fan like yeah
0: yeah but i tell you what congratulations man you made some great strides and to be you know on the list for a gold glove i mean that that says a lot and that that get, i got to give you a lot of credit you know you uh you went down, and it seemed like you were on a mission this year, You know, right from spring training, that there was a different Clint Frazier that took the field, that you were on a mission to to really show the people that you could really blossom into being a great player.
3: Yeah, you know, I mean, I always felt like I was, uh, I guess, a little annoyed at that. the, uh, I guess, not getting the chance to play consistently, but knowing kind of what I was capable of. And, and so going down two games into the season, really it really upset me i'm not gonna lie because i felt like i was in a really good place to be a really good player if i got the opportunity i had a a really good strong spring training 1.0 and had a good 2.0 spring training and then to to sit on the bench and watch every single player be the ones that are told hey like you might go in and pinch hit and i'm not one of them it it upset me so whenever i went to the alternative site i I really worked on some stuff and I just got the ability to go up there and play every day and finally show what, you know, I've always wanted to show. And and it's really cool doing it for the Yankees. So I was, uh, I was pretty excited doing that.
2: Clint, you hear a lot when you're, uh, when you're struggling or really just every year at the end of spring training, you always hear it takes a lot more than 25 or 26 or 28, whatever it is this year to win a championship. And I know, you know that, and I know you understand that, but you're not thinking that in the moment when you're, you know, not with the big league team that you're going to play a role, right? I mean, it, it must be hard to kind of get yourself into the mindset of knowing, like, this is the best thing I could be doing for the Yankees right now, I guess, is working on this, even though I'm not where I want to be.
3: Yeah, I mean, I guess one of the hardest feelings to kind of stomach the entire time for me was knowing that the roster consisted of whether it was 25 or the 28, and I was not one of those people. I couldn't help but kind of like compare myself to other people and that's that's honestly not what I wanted to do in a situation like that was comparing myself to some of my peers and teammates because I think my emotions got elevated a little bit doing that. Whenever I finally got called back up and I saw that you know there were some comments like he's going to play a big role for us I was just kind of like we'll see you know like we'll see if it happens I mean no one told me that directly but I think the first game that I had really helped. And I think that, you know, obviously there was no game videos being shown of what we were doing down at the alternative site. But, like, man, I hit, like, 900 while I was down there. So it's not like they were watching me slump down there. So I think I helped my case with that first game. And it was really – it was cool, man. It It was really cool.
0: Who I, I heard you had a pretty good relationship with Reggie Jackson, but who is a guy that kinda helped you along when you know, when you went down, you know, to kind of get you back in that mental frame, you know, because I, I've as a manager, you know uh, I, I've sent some guys down, you know, that really didn't need to go down, but they had to because of roster problems and stuff like that. And there's always one guy that you could really, really talk to, and you know, and being a AAA manager, I've had guys that had to come back, you know, that I had to call in the office and and say, hey, you know, um, you're, you know, they want you up there, but you know, you need to work on some things, and we, you know, they got a roster problem. So who was that guy that you went to that could kind of, kind of calm you down and say, look. You're going to be back up there. Just be patient.
3: I mean, I would say in 2019, it was a, it was a lot of people. You know, Jay bell really helped. Mm-hmm. Julio Borbone, who was the outfield coach, really helped. Some of my teammates helped. You know, it was, a, it was a lot of people. But I would say more in 2020, it was my agent this time. It was uh, mm-hmm. Seth Levinson. and Great guy. Exactly. I mean, man, I would wake up and I'd have a text that was going to take like three minutes to read from him every time. <laughs> and he would just be continually telling me, honestly man like at this point in time this is about your career and you got to do what you do so you can get out of this situation and he was like kept telling me whether it's for the Yankees or one of the other teams out there like you've got to stay ready and that was the that was a frustrating thing was the whole like staying ready thing because it's just like The alternative site was so much different than like years past whenever I got sent down because I was going up against kids that were like 20 years old and 21 years old, these like low-A rookie ball players that throw 100 miles an hour that this is kind of like instructional
2: league for them. and No idea where that ball's going probably, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
3: And I I mean, I just – I mean, I I made a comment to some of the Yankees like, what am I doing down here like beating up on 20-year-old kids that haven't played – professional baseball for more than a year like what is this benefiting how is this benefiting me you know like and I was frustrated because I felt like those alternative sites were just kind of it was more like tailored to top prospects right it was tough especially because like I hit really good the year before and just had a couple bad defensive games that kind of put a smear on my 2019 and I felt like I was able to compete and I was ready whenever I got the chance this year
0: so what's your what's your off season been like now? Are you a deer hunter? What do you what, what do you what do you what do you like to do? I mean, uh, and when do you when do you start gearing up to get your yourself ready to go to spring training? I mean, look, it's December already, and you know, and probably about four or five more weeks, you know, you'll be almost getting ready to to get back into in, in spring training.
2: Come on, Bucky, this is peak sneaker shopping season over here. <laughs> Dude. It's true.
3: Yeah, I've. Uh... <laughs> So for me, this has been a, this has been a lot of different off-season for me. Uh, my girlfriend and I, we moved in together. I had the house before she moved in, so there were some things that she wanted to change uh, in the house. Of <laughs> course, of course. And, of
0: course. <laughs> and we've, we've,
3: we've done a lot of that. And to be honest, it's getting, it's, we're getting to the home stretch of the renovations. I haven't really had a week where no one's showing up at 8 in the morning. You know, So it doesn't feel like we've lived in the house yet. But we have torn this house apart. My off season has been renovations. It's been fun.
0: Join the crowd because I just moved and I'm going through the same problem. I mean, you know, everything, you know, changing and decorating and you know, yard and everything. So uh, I I hear you, man. I, I, I know what you're going through. But uh uh you know it, it it's not fun when you're doing that but when it's all over with you could take a deep breath and go wow you know this is pretty cool we're getting,
3: we're getting there i think the hardest part and and you know as well as i do like we don't get paid during the off season and i don't have a steady cash flow coming in right now and i've been i feel like i don't know what the emotion is i guess embarrassed that i have to text my financial advisor every other week and like hey like can you put some money in my account like i spent all 10,000 on ho- home renovations yesterday. Like, so I sent him one today and I was like cringing the entire time because like, I've done a lot of stuff. It's not like little things. Like I replaced all my floors. I redid our whole kitchen. I personally created, I built a shoe room in the basement because I have about 200 pairs of shoes. It's it's kind of became a weird
0: obsession at this point, but 200 pairs of shoes. Oh my God. Bucky,
2: you would not believe in, in the Yankees clubhouse. It's like, his sneakers that pop out of this locker. <laughs> it's like room for three players there. It's the greatest
0: thing. With the changes and stuff like that, I don't know in baseball, you know, and especially when Mr. Steinbrenner is there, we had to wear black. Yeah. I, mean, I, I remember, I actually I had to giggle because, you know, Seth and Sam I've known forever. I've known Sammy since he's 14. But when the first day you walked out there and you had white shoes on, I said, oh my God. I said, he would have lasted about five minutes, Mr. Steinberger. Or- <laughs> <laughs> he would have called
3: out. To- you think it would have been the shoes or how long my hair was that would have lasted five minutes?
0: Both, because let me let me tell you, let me tell you, Clint. My first day as a Yankee, I walked in with my bag. I got traded from Chicago. And Chicago, I was a little bit of an idol, so I had long hair and stuff like that. Billy Martin come walking out of his office and he goes, great to have you. Get a haircut. And I was like, uh, yes, sir. And I put my bag down. And I went right to the barbershop. <laughs> yeah,
3: that's, that rule is still there, obviously. Yeah. But, you know, I will say, like, it seems like it's gotten a little more lenient, you know, because yeah. I think that we do have a lot of people that are themselves and, no one's gonna go no one's gonna grow their hair out super long you know some guys might test the the boundaries a little bit but like everyone's trying to be respectful of it so i think that they've given us more of a leash because they do know like hey we we know the limit and once we reach that limit we take care of it ourselves and i wish that we could have a little bit of facial hair if i'm not not gonna lie so yeah
0: now, now tell me about these shoes how do you design them do you, i mean do you sit down there and like say okay you know i uh you know Tell me about the designing these shoes.
3: So I'm not as much designing as much as I am hoarding. Just yeah, like. <laughs> so I mean, you you'll appreciate this. Like my dad and I don't really. He he's a big hunter. He's very southern. We don't have a lot of parallels with the clothing and the shoe attraction that I have. Mm-hmm. But I have pairs that are from his time. So meaning so like I have a pair that is designed completely after the band um Millie Vanilli Ooh, so okay yeah it's, it's all it's an all Nike based um collection I have I mean it, it goes back all the way like I have a pair of shoes that are from Nike that are designed in the exact outfit that uh Ferris Bueller was wearing in that Ferris Bueller's Day Off movie so they're just like a lot of collections you know they're like but I wear them. I don't just sit on them. It's not just like I'm buying all these shoes and stuffing them in a box. Like, I actually, they're meant to be worn. I wear them. But, like, I mean, I have enough to wear the entire basement that of this room that I'm doing is, is going to be filled.
0: Wow. Well, now let me ask you a question. You know, jumping back and forth from left field to right field and center field and stuff like that, which do you prefer to play the most, left or right?
3: Yeah, you know, like, it's tough because when I come to camp and I break from camp, I'm told to do most of my stuff in left field. And then it always seems like right field is the place that I end up filling the gap for, you know. So I've tried to make my work be, you know, split between the two. But it's like at the end of the day, I want to get more work at the position that I'm playing at. and. True. I would say, like, this year I definitely felt more comfortable in right just because I played every day there. But whenever Mm -hmm. they moved me to left field, really left field – left field in Yankee Stadium is different because it's like – I'm pretty sure it's the biggest position on the field. Mm -hmm. And it's it's like at at times in my head, like, I laugh at what, you know, people say. But it's like, do you really want me with the struggles I had playing left field? (laughs) Like, so I felt like they tried to keep me out of left as much as they could. But I definitely think that I like, I think I like left more to be honest, just because in the last five years I've played left a lot more than I have right, at least behind the scenes. And it's a position that like, I like it. I mean, I I like left field. I like the throws from left. I like to, I like the short throw to third, the throw to home. Like I just like the position of the field a little bit more.
0: Everybody says, you know, right field is a lot easier to play because in the old Yankee Stadium when I played there, I mean, it was really big, you know, it was like uh, four fifty-four to left center field, and um, you know, uh, Mickey Rivers used to run run the balls down out there, you know. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, in, in in Yankee Stadium, I mean, left field in the sun. I mean, the sun in left left field is is really really tough. You know, being a shortstop, you know, in those day games, that sun gets gets up there, and sometimes you, uh, I would even go. Oh God! Don't hit me a pop up. You know? Yeah,
3: I've been there. I've been there a few
0: times. We we used old bootleg flip down glasses. We didn't have the glasses. You know, you wore all the time. So, mm-hmm. um, but the sun in left field, I, I'm I'm sure it's. Uh, you know, really tough. I mean, Roy White used to say that all the time. And then seeing guys play out there, it was, it was tough. But uh, um, you, you've, you've made the adjustment really well, man. And I tell you what, uh, you've done an amazing job. But, you know, talk a little bit about the struggles when you had to come back from your concussion. I don't think people understand how, how tough that is. I mean, mm-hmm. I was a football player, and I remember the first one that I got, you know. But back in the day, they just said, you've got your bell rang. Go sit down for a while. You know, in the meantime, the birds are going around your head, you know, and you're, you're trying to, you know, figure out where you are. So, right. uh, And we didn't have all the stuff that they did today. You just waited till the birds left, and then you went back on the field. But, I mean, how, how tough was that for you to, you know, to, to go through that?
3: that injury itself is pretty personal for me in a sense because mm-hmm. I went through it for so long and I I didn't ever really feel like I could articulate the feelings that I was feeling unless somebody had gone through the same type of thing right. and and even right. in that case everyone's experience with a concussion is different you know all of us are different we all react differently and mine was just filled with I would say like the biggest emotion was like bitterness I felt very bitter that I couldn't get out there and play. I felt bitter that this thing kept just going on that I couldn't express how I was feeling. And, you know, and I was, I was just, I honestly was at first, I wasn't too worried about it. And then as time drug out, I got really worried about this because when you wake up and you feel the same way every single day, and that's way below what you should feel and you can't get out of this rut, it became really difficult. And then I ended up switching to a different neurologist and there was a different way of rehabbing it. You know, I've only seen two and they were both polar opposites of how we were going to go about beating the concussion. And it took a while. I ultimately never made it back in that season, but I started the next season still, I still felt a little bit and by my feelings, it was more like bright lights, loud noises, like sometimes it would trigger a little bit of fogginess i don't know if, if whenever yeah, you ever had it you know like sure, sure it felt like i was like one step behind out there and uh-huh. you know i had the troubles that i had with the media and just didn't really want to even talk about it because i felt like it would have just draw drew more attention to me and more and i didn't want it all focused on me you know like i felt like i kind of went through it alone it was tough but I obviously, in 2020, I felt good. I felt like I was past it. I tried to take the mentality of run towards the fire, not from it, and right. just facing it like a man, you know, and, and it was a very uh, fulfilling season for me in a lot of ways. You know, I wore that mask every game, but I was smiling under the mask predominantly most of the year for just for how I was doing. It was, it was a personal season for me.
2: So I have a question about that because you know we've we've had a lot of talks about this stuff and I've I've learned a lot about the brain honestly from talking to you. You really walked me through a lot of kind of what you go through there. But what I'm always curious about, and maybe this is going to sound backhanded, but I don't mean it that way. You hear a lot this year about how much you matured and you know how much of your growth this year and everything like that. Is there a part of you that feels like, you know what? I didn't really change that much. You guys just stopped having the wrong idea about who I was.
3: Yeah, you know, like I've I I don't even want to say it the wrong way, but the the biggest thing for me was like the only thing that changed was I got 1 year older and I think I started to kind of just try to not try to be vanilla because at this point it was like if i'm myself around these people they don't like it or maybe they do like it and that's why they write about it in a negative way and it it draws attention to me and it just kind of i was just kind of over it i didn't really feel like i matured too much i think it was just more like i did one thing right that these people liked and they just ran with it after that and i think it was the mask like i wore the mask and it was like I was the nicest guy in the state of New York. After that, it was it was really weird turn of events with how I was perceived one year apart.
2: You know, the, I'll say this about the mask—that's not a small thing. I'm not not to feed into what's bothering you, but that was pretty awesome. I thought. I thought that a young kid saying, "You know what? Like I'm someone who people are watching and people are recognizing." I thought that was cool.
0: I gotta say. Yeah, me too.
3: There was like a lot of thought that went into it you know my girlfriend is in the medical field she works with uh she's in pediatrics and she wears the full pp every time she goes in and you know i didn't want to get her sick i didn't want to get any of my teammates sick or anyone that i knew i didn't want to spread the virus so that was the biggest thing for me was just and also like ultimately what it came down to as well was I ha- i had to be on the field personally i had to play i couldn't risk not playing because i did something that was preventative, you know, or more, I could prevent it more if I wore a mask and I, I wanted to play. And whenever people started to get a couple guys on our team got the virus and a couple people
2: that I knew, I was like, all right, I'm not, I'm not playing around. But, but, you know, the thing is though, I mean, and obviously we come at this from different, you know, platforms in the world, obviously, but there's a trickle down effect there. It really is. And I mean, as stupid as this sounds, you know, I would go for a run in my neighborhood, which is, you know, not, anyone watching me necessarily but i would wear a mask and i would have friends who'd be like "Ah, you know you're outside why do you need it and i'm just like you know what because i like the idea of us all kind of getting together and agreeing like let's just wear masks whatever we do and it's like if anyone sees me when they're driving past me and they're like oh that's interesting maybe maybe it's not so hard to run a mask and in my head i'm thinking like if clint fraser can do this while he's playing the outfield at yankee stadium i can probably do this while i'm running on gregory avenue in west orange <laughs> that's awesome Perfect. yeah but the
0: bub- but the bubble i mean they they were pretty strict on you guys as far as being in that bubble and uh you know isolating you guys they, i mean it was kind of it was it kind of tough not having guys you know like in the locker room you know being able to to move around and talk and you know and stuff like that i mean that had to be hard
3: it was it
0: was like
3: it was definitely a uh you gotta you had to adjust to it an adjustment period because our locker room. And I mean, obviously you guys know how big the locker room is at home at Yankee Stadium. It's huge. And huge. even, even with the way that the, the protocols went about, we weren't able to still fill the whole locker room with our players, you know? And it was like, there was like six or seven guys in another locker room and then everyone spaced out. And it was just, it was weird. I mean, it was, the food was in a, a totally opposite side of the building. There was a lot of hurdles that were not, they were very minute, but they were just, they were more so just like tedious. And it, right. it felt, I mean, it was weird. It was a weird season. I mean, I'm, I'm fully expecting 2021 to look very similar because really? I think so. At least we get to play.
0: At least you've been through it. You know, I mean, you've had one year of it. So, so you know what to expect. You know, you haven't, it's not something new that you're going in there and, and having to start all over and do it with. But I, I, I know in the locker rooms that I had, you know, the, that was the fun part being in the locker room and having guys getting on each other, you know, going in the sauna and having a beer after the game, you know, and hearing the, the BS, you know, and stuff like that. So, yeah. you know, I mean, that, that's the fun part of, of, of being in a locker room, but Yankee stadium, I mean, I've only been in there a couple times, but, um, your, your locker room was like four times the locker room that we had in the old stadium. You know, I mean, I mean, we were like <laughs> right on top of each other, you know, but it was fun, you know, because you could get on guys and harass them and yell at them and stuff like that, you know, but, uh, that that was a whole fun part of it. and mm-hmm. I'm sure that that affected you guys a little bit also.
2: Clint, I don't know if you've heard the stories, but in September in the old uh, clubhouse, they would have guys doubled up when they were bringing up uh, players up there. There were guys doubling up at the, in Yankee Stadium in the clubhouse. It was always All like right. you'd walk in there for the first time thinking you're in this like, majestic place, and you're like, hey, you know what? This is kind of <laughs> not that awesome in here. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. What was it like?
3: Uh, how, how big was the locker room in comparison to Fenway's
0: visiting locker room? Uh, About the same. It was about the same, you know, oh, I mean, it, 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 was, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't very big. It was, you know, kind of cozy, but you know, that was a, that was a fun part of it. And, and like John said, you never know who, who was going to, you know, when they called up the 40 man roster in September, you never know who was going to dress with you in your, in your locker. And, uh, uh, you know, but it was, it was fun because, you know, you had a chance to talk to some kid, you know, that was down in AAA or whatever, you know, and, and talk to him about playing in New York and,
3: wait you're saying the the forty man guys wouldn't they wouldn't lock her together they would lock her with a player that was yeah. oh we, we, we did not
0: have we didn't have all the lockers we didn't have all the room you know i mean you got you you got two locker rooms in your locker room now. You know, we, we had one. Oh, <laughs> Yeah.
2: That's the thing. Like, it was a pretty great tribute when they gave, when they kept Thurman's locker empty. It's an even better tribute when you realize how valuable that real estate was in that room. <laughs> yeah. That's all. <laughs> I'm awesome. kidding.
0: You're not kidding. And, and the pitching coach locker was right next to mine. And and that was kind of like a revolving door, <laughs> so I never knew who was going to be the pitcher coach, you That's know, sit, sitting next to me. But it was, you know, it was a lot of fun. And I, I tell you what, going in the sauna and shooting a breeze with guys after the game, you know, that was. But I'm sure that you guys had a tough time this year not being able to do that.
3: Definitely, I mean, we were more. It was more encouraged to get out of the locker room as quickly as you can at the end of the day, like, you know, I had my girlfriend that was with me for a majority of the year, and I didn't try to hang out too much. But mm-hmm. I do know that like the camaraderie of being in the locker room and being there together is, is definitely something that was hindered a little bit because of the protocols. And, you know, obviously, I hope things get back to normal. But if not, I mean, we did a, we as the Yankees did a really good job at containing the the spread I personally think it was it was good we did a lot of good stuff there so if it so happens to be that we have to do it again then I don't expect us to really be hindered much because the Yankees did such a good thing I mean even in like the biggest thing that was cool was we would go on the road and the Yankees would get a bunch of they would get like a very big space in the basement or on a main floor and it would be almost like our clubhouse at the hotel oh So, you know, we were able to, they would do like a whole ballroom and then we'd have breakfast and then they'd set up like a workout. They'd set up where the trainers can go.
2: Video, right?
3: Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. You were mainly supposed to do all of your stuff at the the hotel. So we, Mm -hmm. I mean, we, I think it was only us and a few other teams that maybe did that. So it was, they did a really good job. I mean, it was, it didn't feel too bad, but it was, it was different.
0: Well, that they've always been a first-class organization. I mean, you know, I have played in three or four in coaching and coaching, and they've always been first-class and doing it the right way. And uh, um, you know, it, it, it's that's why it's so special when you put that Yankee uniform on. You know, I mean, sure. it's it, it, it's it's different. You know, people say, "Well, what is it like?" Well, it's different. You know, the first time I put the pinstripes on, because I was a kid that grew up being a Mantle fan. Oh my God, this is like. This is like heaven, you know. Um, but talk talk about like um, your goals. What the Yankees have been close for the last three years, you know. They get there, you know. And you, you're, you what's gonna, what's it gonna take to really get you guys over the hump?
3: I don't want to be the guy that speaks too far out of context because no. first, you know what I mean. Like I've never even experienced the hump, you know. Like Guardy's won. You know, Eric Kratz was there last year. He had some experience. Chapman. But, like, I mean, man, the the hardest thing to do, I guess, is to stay healthy when unexpected things can happen. And we have unfortunately been hit with some big-time injuries at times that we don't don't need it to happen. And I think it's just a matter of staying healthy, you know, because every year we go into the season and – people are saying that we're, it's us or the Dodgers, you know, we're going to win it or the Dodgers are going to win it. And we just like, yeah, we've gotten guys back in time, but we, we missed, I mean, we, we didn't have Luis Severino. We didn't have James Paxson, you know, we had some big time guys that we needed and unfortunate things that you can't control just like happen. And unfortunately, I think that's what's really hurt us the most because it's not about the quality of players we have it's not about I mean I think we have a a good game plan going into games Mm Booney does a great job with you know his decisions the front office I think does a great job and so it's not like things aren't firing the right way it's just unfortunate things have happened and hindered our ability that that's what I think I mean I'm not trying to speak too
0: far no no do you do does it does it make you change your approach in the winter of of how you train before you go to spring training or when you get down there I mean does it does it change your philosophy
3: I, I think so I think that you know we brought Eric Cressy in and he's got a lot of knowledge in a lot of areas that I don't know much about but I think as as you get older you you realize the things that you need more than you might have realized whenever you were younger and you know the whole thing is i'm not i mean i like to work out i like to to see myself get bigger in as far as muscle growth but like at the end of the day i have to know what sport i'm training for Mm -hmm. what my ceiling needs to be and what i play at a good weight at and just go into it ready to, to be a baseball player and not a, a football player in a sense. Because some of us, like, you know, we want to blow up in the offseason. And, and, you know, Stanton is huge and Judge is huge and Luke Boyd is huge. Like, I saw something that said, like, and I don't know how true it is because it was on Twitter, but it was, like, the Yankees' starting lineup average weight is, like, 225 pounds. So, like, we're some big guys. Like, I'm not, yeah. but our team is. So, it's, like, we're a football team swinging a baseball bat.
0: Well, y'all hit them like football teams. Yeah. You You hit hit, hit hit them a long ways.
2: (laughs) So, you know, Cash made an interesting point last year, I thought, which I thought was a difficult thing for a GM to admit. He said that when you make the amount of changes that the team made last year with the training staff and the medical staff and everything like that, and the conditioning staff, you're going to, you can't expect it all to work right away. You can expect in that first year for there to be some setbacks because everything's changing. Did you find that there were things that you were putting your body through that Took a little while for them, for you to fully understand exactly how to get it right in a sense or to get the most benefit out of.
3: Yeah. I mean, I think with the, the new staff that we implemented, they they're very understanding as to what you want as a player. And everyone's workout or routine or whatever it is is different than the others. But the biggest thing that I noticed that took time for me was like, there is a very extensive warm up that they created. And man, it can take, it can really take as long as you want it to, but it's not gonna take any less than like 15 to 20 minutes. And it's like something that I realized that some days you don't feel right in certain areas. And this warmup really just hits you in every area. And it's something that it's very tedious, but like, man, it works. And it took time for these trainers to drill it into a lot of our heads. and it's for us as players to be as prepared as they think going into a game or practice and they're headed in the right direction. Like I said, it's just unfortunate things happen. You can't baseball or just sports in general. The injuries are very unpredictable. They're predictable that they're going to happen, but they're unpredictable whenever they're going to happen.
2: So then here's a question that I feel like I've asked pretty much everyone over the course of this uh, year on the podcast I feel like there's a mentality that some people in the clubhouse want to have, and I I think the obvious answer to this is Aaron Judge. You know, Aaron, to his credit, loves saying, like, well, we didn't win the World Series, so we failed, and things like that. And then there's another side that says, look, we got to Game 7, and it was a one-run game, and we win that game, and we're in the World Series, and man, if you can't find a lot of positives to take from that, you know, you're know you going to be a pretty miserable person or something. Uh, and, and so I, I see both sides of it. I recognize both sides of it. For you as a member of a team that just, you know, the last three years, you kind of keep coming up short against the team that makes it to the World Series or wins the World Series in some cases. You know, how do you judge how your year went?
3: I'm not as harsh in a sense of saying that it's a complete failure if you don't win it. Obviously, like the biggest way that I think that, it's good to, to evaluate stuff is to evaluate what all of your goals were and how you went about all of them as a whole. So the biggest goal, I mean, personally for me, it was to make the team. I made the team, but then I got cut after day two. Sorry if you hear that, man. I have like a bunch of geese flying (laughs) around my head right now. I'm in my backyard. Cause like I said, dude, there's like 200 up there. Yeah, like, I don't but, know. That, but
0: that's good luck if one drops one on your shoulder. <laughs> that's, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna
3: I'm gonna appreciate the time that we chose for this podcast. Um, but what I was saying, you know, like personal goals, like or team goals, and team goals. Obviously, we wanna we wanna win the division, and then we wanna make it. Or obviously, we wanna win the next round, and then the next round, and then the next round. It's just I think you can check off goals but the ultimate goal is to win the world series but you know we accomplished we accomplished a lot over that season we we started out really good and then we went through a really tough stretch and and like you kind of figure things out amongst yourselves in there whenever you're going through hard times and and i think that put us in a really good spot going into the playoffs because unfortunate things are going to happen and we have to know how to bounce back from that and and we man like we didn't win that game seven but we were in it i mean we we had that whole like i wasn't playing that game but i was watching it and i was like man i was stressed out like it was a good game and it was just like you were throwing the whole kitchen sink at each team was doing whatever they could to win and i was proud of you know the way the guys played and and how that series went about and Ultimately, we wanted to win, but, but I think that we we got a better chance this year coming up or next year.
0: So, Let me ask you a question. How, how important is it for LeMahieu to come back? I mean, this guy, I love him. I love the way he plays, I love the way he hits, uses the whole field. He's tough with, with two strikes, driving and runs. And, and Urshela, I just love the way they play. They play defense and they play the game.
3: I need DJ to come back because him and I just started to develop a good relationship. And by that, he starts pouring information into your head and you get a lot more in-depth conversations with him and he he offered me to be basically his shadow and he was saying you can you can follow me around meaning you can come to come with me to the the video room and I go through the whole bullpen and the starting pitchers in-depth breakdown of you know what I'm looking for and what they do and and stuff like that so he offered that and I definitely want to take him up on that because His nickname couldn't be more fitting, you know, the machine. And he just, like, you know what time DJ is going to be in a certain spot at. Like, if it's 5.15, he's going to be here. If it's 4.30, he's going to be here. Like, And he's about to get paid because he went about his routine in such a a good way and developed into, like, dude, he's, like, the best hitter in Major League Baseball that I've seen.
0: His work ethic, um, I heard, is just, like – Amazing, you know what yeah. it does. You know with his routine, and, and I think routines are are so important to baseball players. You know, I mean, you know when I played, I had my own routine. What I did as far as playing defense, you know, going out there taking so many balls, you know, doing this and doing that. But I just love the way he plays, and I love the way Urshela plays at, th- at third base. I mean, those two guys in the lineup, though you know, you got your guys, they're trying to hit them over the roof, but those guys, you know, when it comes down to with two strikes, they, they're going to use the whole field and put the ball in play. And, and I think, I, I think watching you this year, you, you, you started to do a lot more of that, you know, using the whole field.
3: Yeah. I, I mean, I, I tried, you know, obviously I was in Cleveland with Urshela and mm-hmm. I remember the first spring training that I saw him there with us, I was telling guys like, wait until you see this guy play third base because it's i mean i saw it the entire time coming up through the minor leagues with him we didn't play on the same team but we were always at spring training or instructional league so when he got caught up in baltimore la whenever his whole thing started and he started going off i was like there's no turning back for this guy because the Indians let him go, the blue Jays let him go, and like he is an incredible player, so to have him over there at third dJ at second it was just or d j goes over to third or goes to mm-hmm. first it was right. it's it's a great combo with those two, but you know what i i forgot the oh me me, sorry, i forgot i got to i started to talking too much. I tried to use as much of the field as I could because I felt like I felt susceptible to that outside pitch if I was just trying to stick to left field and wow. You know, like the off season is hard because like you, you're hitting batting practice all off season and you get really good at hitting home runs and just really hitting it in one direction. But I came into spring 2020 trying to trying to use the whole field because I watched other guys and their successes and, and ultimately like batting practice would come around and I can hit balls out to right field. I can hit them out to left field. And it's like, why would I not try to use my full toolbox if it's there,
0: yeah, I remember. I remember it's funny because uh, I was sitting in the dugout when I was a rookie with, with the White Sox, and we were playing the Pittsburgh Pirates. And uh, Willie Stargell came up; he got a base hit to left field. And I was sitting in the dugout, and they had taken him out of the game because it was like the fifth in or whatever. And he come walking through the because they had to go through our dugout to go get on the bus. And Dick Allen said, "You know, hey, pops, what are you doing hitting the ball to left field?" And, and he stopped and turned around and he goes, "There's money over there too." <laughs>
2: <laughs> but I mean, Clint, the thing is, like, what, everyone wants to talk about the bat speed you have, obviously, and what you think about with the bat speed is your ability to pull the ball into you know the left field bleachers or the second deck in left field. Obviously, having great bat speed also lets you wait on the ball more so that you can drive some balls the opposite way. I mean, that that that's as much of a function of the bat speed you have as your ability to pull the ball to the far reaches of the world, right?
3: Yeah. Yeah. And you know, like the one thing that has occurred over time is I've started to, I started to figure out my swing a little bit more. I'm not going to say that I haven't figured out, but I started to realize when I'm going really good, why am I going good? And what, what are my thoughts? And a lot of it is just like, I'm going to be really reactionary. I, I hit the inside pitch pretty good. And the outside pitch was the one that I really had to focus on because I wanted to hit the inside pitch more. And I started to realize like facing certain guys, like I had a really good game off of Nathan Evaldi this year and he throws he throws so hard, he just throws gas. And then he throws a cutter at 94 miles an hour and he likes to live on that outside corner. And, and I started to realize that I had some success off guys that were high velocity guys and it was to right field. And if I think right field, and i have the right approach i can still react to the inside pitch if i don't know some days i can if not like whatever like yeah. some guys yeah. are just nastier but I just kind of started to realize, like you said, hey, there's some money to to right field
0: in. There's a lot of money in right field because it's so short. I mean, I saw you hit a ball. You missed it and hit it hit it out to, down the right field line. So, I mean, in, in Yankee Stadium, you can, like, miss it and, and hit it out. Right? I've done so, a
3: few of those. It's Oh, well, yeah.
0: It feels good, too, doesn't it? <laughs> it's good, man. It's
3: like you hit some balls. Next thing you know, you're rounding the bases. And like you said, you're like, I did not get that ball. Like, I can't imagine, <laughs> personally, I can't imagine being – judge or stanton because if i miss it balls and they go out like those guys <laughs> are a different breed and like i've told both of them because i i hit in their batting practice groups i'm like Uh-oh. what how big does this field actually feel for you like because if i'm clearing the fence by a lot and then you're clearing it by twice as much like you have to feel like you're playing on a little league field whenever you're oh, in that box. Yeah. and they did like look at what stanton did in the playoffs like. He made it look way too easy as far as how easily he was hitting balls out.
0: That ball you hit off Snell, that didn't make, make you feel pretty good, didn't it?
3: That was, that was big because I got that pinch hit in Cleveland, and it just it did not go well. Like, and that's oh. my first experience in the playoffs, and it did not go well. So for my first start in the playoffs, to hit a home run and my first at bat, I was like, You know, I was like I said, I'm patting my chest. I'm smiling under my mask more than what people saw. But it was big. It was it was really cool, especially because it was my first IBAT, or first start.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. Now, let me ask you a question. Call of Duty and Madden essential for baseball. I mean, to get yourself ready to go.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we did a we did a Madden tournament and you really find out some stuff about people and the link that they'll go to win at video games, you know, oh, yeah, we had a couple guys that innocence became obsessive with winning. <laughs> and one of those guys was Aaron judge. And I mean, man, so for instance, like at the end of the year, and we'd have a Madden league and it'd be full of 16 players and we didn't play each other every game. Sometimes we would play the computer. And so we had to make a rule because we would go back and you could see how many times one person played the computer before they finished. man! Oh. every week you would look and you would see that Aaron Judge had played the computer like 17 times before he was happy with the points that he put up against them. Like he was so competitive to try to like win the MVP of the league or have the most passing yards. It was like, it was really bad. The, like, these guys were playing way too, way too much video <laughs> games going into the season.
0: Oh, man. Well, listen, buddy, I, I appreciate you spending time with us. I know this year coming up is going to be a big one for you, and uh, I can't wait to see you play, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm wishing you all the best, buddy. All right. I appreciate you guys. Thank you for letting me come on. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate it, man. Thanks, Clint. Wow, John. Uh, interesting conversation. I, I told you it was going to be interesting with him because uh, he's such a great kid, you said, and I um, got the chance to, to learn a lot about him today.
2: I'm pretty happy we got to do that. Like I said, for for one thing, he's just a good dude, but I've also just been amazing. Mean, I know we talked about this a lot, and I know you brought it up in the intro too, but things like what you saw with his progression this year defensively and all these things – That's talent and that's skill and that's hard work for sure, but it's also maturity. And maybe I'm of the opinion that he did not need to mature as much as some other people might have liked to say he did, but you definitely see that he did mature a lot this year.
0: Oh, absolutely. And, um, you know, like I said, you know, I thought he was on a mission from the beginning um, and um, he proved it. Uh, he uh, handled his demotion, went down to, you know, uh, Scranton-Wilkesbury and did the work that he needed to do. And when he came back, he seemed like he was more of a, a polished guy and and, and and really ready to to do what he needed to do to to be the starting outfielder for the New York Yankees.
2: For sure. I'm really excited to get to watch him play again. And I got to say, Bucky, like I'm, I'm curious. I'd love to pick your brain on this because you certainly know it a lot more than I do. And I'm, And I'm not saying that the current baseball offseason is exactly the same as it was when you were playing or coaching, but obviously it's been so quiet in these few weeks since, uh, I mean, it feels like a long time, but it's only really been about a month since baseball ended. How hard is this as a player when there's just kind of radio silence everywhere. And on the one hand, you know, you got to do your job and get ready for the next year, but also you're just waiting to hear what's going on. You know, maybe your name's coming up in rumors, maybe it's not, but you're wondering who's going to be on your team, things like that. I mean, how hard do you remember that being?
0: Well, you know, I remember there was always a dead period after the World Series and after the season where it was quiet like this, where teams are trying to figure out, you know, what the roster is going to be like, what they need, what they can spend to go get free agents, uh, you know, and, you know, who they're going to try and keep, you know, who they're going to put on the 40-man roster. So there is a little bit of a of a dead period. And, and I think it's 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 good for the players because then they can relax their, their mind. They can go enjoy the offseason. And, you know, this year has been just a Stranger in itself, you know, playing with no fans, you know, going through the pandemic. That I think it's it's good that they've had a dead period of of time where there's nothing going on.
2: I've spoken to a lot of players over the years about the physical things they need to do to get back in baseball mode, but mentally, when would you say your brain kind of got back into baseball?
0: At the beginning of the year, um, you know, you like to go through November, December, just kind of relax. And, uh, and then, you know, when the, the new year starts, then it's time to, to turn your focus to, to the season and start getting your body and your mind ready to go to spring training because it's not far after, after this, the new year that you'll, you'll be in spring training. So, uh, you know, these guys train different in the off season. They train pretty much all year round now where we, we pretty much worked in the, in the wintertime. But, you know, uh, January was a good time to, to, to start gearing up to, to get ready for spring training.
2: I mean, I'll tell you what, Pucky, I can't believe it's December. I can't believe that it's three weeks from the new year. And obviously, you know, I join everyone in the universe with wanting to bid a not so fond farewell to 2020. But my God, we're going to be pretty soon. We're going to be starting to talk about kind of getting ready for spring training and all these weird things. And man, on the one hand, I can't believe we're getting there. On the other hand, (laughs) it can't come soon enough.
0: I can't wait for 2021 because I tell you, 220 was just unbelievable year. I mean, um, with what's going on and uh, in sports and no fans and, you know, the pandemic and all the things that I can't wait till the clock turns and and a new year starts and, uh, uh, you know, we can start talking about a fresh year.
2: For sure. Well, I know, uh, for everyone who celebrates, obviously this week we start Hanukkah, you know, we have all the holidays coming up. It's going to be a big time. So I hope everyone has a peaceful,
0: happy, calm,
2: safe, uh, holiday season. Bucky, I hope, uh, you and your family get to enjoy it as well.
0: As well as yours too. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a time to be happy now and enjoy your families and kick back and, uh, You know, and just, uh, you know, relax. But, you know, in a couple more weeks, it'll be time to gear it up again, John.
2: Well, it's good talking to you as always, and I can't wait to speak to you soon. You too, buddy. And to all of you, thanks so much for listening to another episode of Deep to Left with Bucky Dent. Before you go, I want to tell you more about the Yankees Magazine Podcast Network. If you liked hearing from Bucky today, you should also check out the Yankees Magazine Podcast, where we break down some of our written stories from each new magazine and, of course, talk Yankees baseball. If you're not subscribed, what are you waiting for? We're available wherever you listen to your podcasts or at yankees.com slash podcast. Leave us a review. Leave us a rating. You can even send your thoughts over email, podcast at yankees.com. And of course, it's the holiday season, so what better time than to gift a subscription to Yankees Magazine? If you go to yankees.com slash publications right now, you'll see some amazing holiday offers that we have. You'll get free tickets, you'll get all kinds of free magazines, or even, ready for this, we're we're offering you a chance to buy a subscription package that includes you being on a segment of the Yankees Magazine podcast, so go check it out. Like I said, yankees.com slash publications, or call 800-GO-YANKS for all the information. And if you'd like to see our content online, get a taste of it at yankees.com slash magazine. There you'll find our latest features to read from the magazine, and we're also on Twitter, at Yanks Magazine. Give us a follow and be up to date with every podcast and magazine we produce. That's it. See you next time. Happy holidays, and go Yanks. Hi, this
3: is Luke Voigt. If you like what you're hearing, why don't you rate and review us? And while you're at it, tell your friends to subscribe. Thanks so much, and go Yankees. Hey, Rob Bradford
1: here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story. And one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest